As I was as I was listening to the songs that we were singing and and participating in them, I was thinking, man, Christmas is just uh, it's emotional. Um, there's this wild ride that you go on, and he, we even went on it during the worship set to where there is this joyful, peaceful, reflective state that you find yourself when you talk about Christmas. There's this celebratory joy that comes into play, and then there's this other piece of Christmas. It's the relational piece where loving God, you know, that, that part we kind of got down in the Christmas story. Loving people, well, that's another part of the Christmas story. And some of you, you're already gearing up for what you're going to face because um, I think one of the most genius things that Facebook ever did was put under the relationship status, it's complicated. <laughs> because relationships are, are complicated. And you're getting ready to go into family dynamics that are, are a bit complicated. Some of them you're going to enjoy and celebrate. Some of them you're going to have to tolerate and get through. And some of them you'll have to call on the counsel and the strength of the Holy Spirit <laughs> to survive, right? And I'm thankful that the Scripture doesn't shy away from those things. Because if you look at the story of Christmas and you think about the emotions surrounding the story of, of Christmas, it's pretty incredible what, what God has done. So we, we started this series uh, called Last Christmas Last Week. And when we started it, we were talking about what if we approached this Christmas like it was our last Christmas? How would we do things differently than we did the Christmas uh, before? And kind of what we came to the conclusion of is when we read through Mary's story is that we would be more willing to say yes to God just like Mary said yes to God. And then the other caveat uh, on that piece of information is that we would be willing to say yes to God no matter what. Because Mary's saying yes to God before she even knows how this ride is going to go, how the people that she loves the most in life are going to respond to the news that she has. She says yes to God. And then that no matter what piece means that she's at the foot of the cross when she sees Jesus uh, being tortured and being put to death. And just kind of gives that indicator that life isn't always picture picture perfect. And when it's not picture perfect, we need to, we need to continue to embrace uh, what God has for us as part, of, as part of his story. Be willing to say, like Mary said in Luke chapter 1, verse number 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So in other words, she was entering into God's story, and that's what you and I get to do uh, on Monday. It's what we get to do when we step into our, our Christmas Eve celebrations with our family, when we step into Christmas Day celebrations with our family. It's all about being who God has called us to be in those dynamics. Now, for some of us, uh, we are the picture of Jesus when we go into those situations because our families are ungodly. And so I hope that we're keeping that in mind as we're stepping into that. Now today, we're going to be talking about the story of Joseph. Joseph is often, he's often a footnote in the story of Christmas. He is, he is the definition of the strong, silent type. Because in the scriptures, you never hear one word recorded that Joseph ever said in the entire text of scripture. Joseph is the earthly stepfather to God's son, 
Jesus. He is a descendant of King David. Matthew identifies that really clearly because he's writing to a Jewish audience and he wants them to know exactly who Jesus is. And so we can identify uh, Jesus through uh, Joseph's line, which is of the line of King David, which is the line where the Messiah would come from that they had prophets had prophesied about. And that Joseph, we know, was living in this town called uh, Nazareth. We know he was pledged to uh, Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the, 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 the woman that God chose to bear his son. Mary says yes to God, and the Holy Spirit does this supernatural work inside of her body. But yet, we step back from the story, again, it's complicated. God is the biological father. Joseph adopts God's son to raise when he takes Mary to be his wife. And so, yeah, you can step back from this situation and go, yepers, this one's complicated. It's complicated for Mary, it's complicated for Joseph, it's complicated for their family members, it's complicated for their friends. And again, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Joseph, but what we do know about him is that he's someone of good character. And what I know, and what you know, is that the world could use more people of good character. So let's take a look at Joseph's story and see what we can learn. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. So Matthew, again, is writing to a Jewish audience. He wants to identify who Jesus is, and he identifies him right out of the gate as the Messiah. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, notice the details, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, and there's the, the piece that we want to get a hold of today, was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement off quietly. Instead of post it and go viral, instead of make sure that everybody knows the true story, okay, Joseph, he's a righteous man, and he decides to break the engagement off quietly. And then he does something that all of us should do when we're considering major acts in life. He considers this. As he considers this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. And this is the good part. This is the part for us. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, with that being said, last week, I don't know if you realize this, but we had a ton of people come to Jesus here in this place. Like, I love that people are coming to Jesus in this place. We were talking about this all week. It's, just, it's amazing to us that that happens around here on a, on a regular basis, and we're experiencing truly the favor of God, because when that happens, when a hand slips up, and when someone prays that prayer, when someone goes into the waters of baptism, there are friends and family members that have been praying for that person every single day for a very long time, and God answers that prayer. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens. And so Jesus will save his people from their sins. All of this, it says in the text, occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. The prophet he's speaking of is the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied 700 years before Jesus would uh, be born, that the virgin would conceive, conceive and give uh, birth to a child, and they would call him Emmanuel. That's exactly what the passage says, which means God is what? With us. 
Aren't you thankful for that? When Joseph woke up, he did, same as Mary, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary to be his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him what? Jesus. So when you read this passage of Scripture in the context of all of it and everything that's surrounding it, if this was, the, if this was my last Christmas, the thing that stood out to me as I read this, if, if this was my last Christmas, Joseph does something that's absolutely incredible in this, in this passage of Scripture. He does something incredible in life. He takes the high road. Like, there's a lot of people right now that just don't take the high road. I mean, he's taking the high road initially when he's seeking to divorce her privately instead of publicly shaming and disgracing her. And so if this was my last Christmas, I'd take the high road. And what that means is when we go into our family dynamics and there are people that have wronged us, when there are people in that room that have acted shamefully against the family, when there are people in that room that are difficult and hard to get along with, we take the high road. We show them the love that's been shown to us. If someone is taking the high road, it says in the dictionary, they're taking the most positive and careful course of action. May it be said to us that when we interact with people that are difficult to interact with, when we come in contact with negative situations, that we take the most positive and careful course of action. Joseph was trying to do this before he has this dream, before the angel of the Lord visits him. And so what if the people of God just put a pause button just hit the pause button, right? Hit the pause button when they're making major decisions in life or trying to res respond to something that's been really difficult, hard, and hard to understand. What if we decide we take the most positive and careful course of action? As I was reading through this, I, I kind of became aware of something in my own life that I've come to a place in my life where I don't want to be right as much as I want to be righteous when it comes to people and with people. There are a lot of times where we know that we're right. Scripture tells us that we're right. We can use Scripture to, to beat people down that don't use the Scripture as an authority in their life, right? But what if we came to a place where it wasn't as much about us being right as us being righteous? In right standing with God, in right standing with the people that are around us. Because Joseph was a righteous man, he chooses not to publicly disgrace her, knowing what people would say, knowing how people would respond, even though, according to everything that he knew, like, she deserved to be shamed. She deserved to be disgraced. And even though this course of action would take him to a place where he would have to take on the shame and disgrace that society would say that she deserves. He, he takes a pause, and in his actions, he's trying to take the most careful and positive course of action. And I wonder if given the same information, how we would respond, how we, how we would react. Most people, if you want to break it down, they're not multifaceted. They're either moral or they're unmerciful, right? 
What if we were moral and merciful like Joseph? He takes the most positive course of action. He's not out for blood. He didn't justify uh, a reason why he would publicly disgrace Mary. Instead, he's taking the high road, and he wants to deal with the problem privately. Too many of our problems, they go viral with today's technology. He doesn't want to put Mary through public shaming. He doesn't want to put her family through the shame of public disgrace and humiliation. And you have to think about his position when he hears that she is pregnant. It, it staggered him. It was a punch. It broke his heart. His blood would have boiled when he heard that she had become pregnant as he's preparing, literally preparing the house that they would live in. He's setting up the life that they would move into, and his blood would have boiled when he heard that she was pregnant and not by him. He'd done everything right. Isn't that oftentimes what we say when stuff doesn't go our way or when people act horribly towards us? He'd done everything right. He had to ask that question, well, how could, how could she do this? Who was this guy that did this? And then the other question would be, and we ask this one, how could God allow this to happen? You know, God doesn't consult us with every decision that he gets to make in the universe. And Joseph finds himself in that place. Joseph and Mary both get drafted into service, not knowing exactly what the ride would look like, but because Joseph is a righteous man, he shows mercy. He treats Mary how he would want to be treated if he was the one who'd acted in an unrighteous manner. What if we took a look at things from that perspective? What if we looked and stepped back and went, if I was the person who was caught in an unrighteous act, how would I, how would I want to be treated? When we think from that perspective, it, it changes things for us. Jesus said these words, he said, do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. It's the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have done unto you. Maybe, just maybe, Joseph had this concept in his mind when he was acting righteously, that his stepson Jesus would clarify in his words when he later said to the woman caught in sexual sin 30 some years later, <laughs> go and sin no more. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus thought about his own mother when he was drawing in the sand when they wanted to stone this woman caught in sexual sin and thought if these religious zealots were around at the time my mother became pregnant, they would have wanted to stone her too. He who was never sinned, Jesus said, cast the first stone. Maybe after initial anger and pain and rage, maybe after all of that subsided, Joseph took a hard look at his own life. Maybe he realized that he wasn't so perfect either. Maybe he recalled a few times in his life when he'd stepped off the 
the map a little bit, missed the mark terribly. And maybe he looked at his own lineage, his own family tree, and he remembered the mess of a family tree that he came from. Look into Matthew chapter 1, it clarifies that for us. Joseph's lineage is polluted and populated with adulterers, murderers, prostitutes. Now here's the interesting thing about that. God would choose to put his son in that family line, which gives us this powerful picture that there's hope for all of us. In Joseph and in his reactions, we we can't find a shred of self-righteousness which provides for us a, a clear picture of what righteousness looks like. Like he, he is stepping back from this situation. He's treating her the way that he would want to be treated. He's trying to honor her. He's trying to respect her and her family, even though he's been hurt terribly. So he asks that question, well, how do you know if you're righteous? How do we know if someone is righteous? Righteous meaning, righteous in the simplest definition means in right standing with God in right standing with people. How do you know if someone is righteous? How a person acts reveals if they're righteous or not. So when we look at Joseph's story, we see how he acts, and that tells us that he's a righteous man. How do you know if someone is righteous or not? Well, how a person reacts is how we know if a person is righteous or not. It reveals it. A lot of us are right, but far from righteous in how we're behaving with certain people that are in our life. Like we won't let them off the hook. We found a reason why we can't forgive them and why nobody should ever forgive them, even though Jesus has forgiven us of a multitude of sins. So a lot of us are right, but far from righteous. And our rightness is keeping us from righteousness. Righteousness is to to act and to react just like Jesus. It's to live without a sense of self-righteousness. Think about who Jesus spent time with, who he ate with. That's a sign of friendship and relationship. Think about who Jesus showed mercy to. Think about who he extended grace to. Think about people whose shame was removed when they were in the presence of Jesus. All unrighteous people that Jesus brought into the fellowship of faith. These were the people, though, that the religious leaders of the day, the top religious leaders of the day, regarded as unclean. They didn't want anything to do with them. And they were declared the most sinful. Jesus earns the title in this text of Scripture as the, as the friend love this, that he has this title, a friend of sinners. Again, it gives us all hope. He earned the title friend of sinners because he was a friend of sinners. There were a lot of people that he hung out with that didn't have righteousness down at all. Example, Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, who was basically seen as someone who was siding with the Roman government, and the Romans were occupying Israel at the time. And Jesus shares a meal with someone the Israelites saw as someone who was oppressing them. They hated this guy. And Jesus spends time 
and eats with them. Jesus completely forgives a woman caught in the act of adultery. What is that? She's a homewrecker. Jesus is trying to help her find the way back to the right path. Jesus allows a, an unclean prostitute to anoint his feet, uh, anoint his feet and dries the oil with her hair in the presence of the religious leaders. Jesus spends time with a five-time, you think you've had trouble in marriage, spends time with a five-time divorcee. She's been divorced five times, and she's living with potential husband number six. Jesus doesn't run away from her. Jesus doesn't shame her. Jesus doesn't disgrace her. He spends time with her. And all of these people later would leave their lives of sin and follow Jesus. And could it be that they later followed and later left their lives of sin because Jesus loved them first? That's what the Jesus calling is as we go into Christmas, to love first, to love the most, to not give up, because that's the kind of thing that Jesus does. Jesus received people in their messy, messed up, sinful states, didn't tell them off, doesn't write them off, and the harshest words he ever said to them were these, go and sin no more. That's what he said to unrighteous people that religious people ran from. But what made Jesus' blood boil was the sin of self-righteousness. Jesus got furious with religious self-righteous people who tried to bully, blame, shame, and humiliate others because of their sin and to make themselves look good. And Jesus, he turns the pyramid upside down. Joseph, the story tells us, said that while he was considering divorce or considering divorcing her privately, considering how to do things the right way, the angel appears to him in a dream. The call to take the the high road that Joseph would eventually take is echoed throughout the theme in Scripture. And Joseph follows that that path as he takes Mary to be his wife. But the Bible speaks about taking the high road clearly. It says in Proverbs 17, 9, so when you're thinking about that family dynamic that you're going into, when you're thinking about that person that you're going to have to face in just a few days, sit across the table from, spend time with, hang out with in a family dynamic, in a family setting, the Bible calls us to the high road over and over again. It says in Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Let's let some things go. If this was your last Christmas, you'd probably let some things go. You quit bringing some things up that don't need to be brought up again. It says in Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. And what you're going to notice is in the passage of Scripture that we're reading, love is covering a lot of stuff because we, as people, need a lot of covering as well. And then it says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so what we see in the text is this overarching narrative of love covering a multitude of sins, 
And then we have Jesus also showing up in the New Testament, and he's in the business of removing people's shame. Like, he removes people's shame. And if Jesus is in the business of removing people's shame, we ought to be in the same business. You think about Jesus showing up on the scene in the first miracle that, that he uh, performs is about removing public shame. There's a bridegroom who miscalculates how much his friends and family members can drink at his wedding. He doesn't have a, enough wine, and Jesus fixes the situation by providing the very best wine for the guests at the wedding. He saves the bridegroom from this embarrassment and shame and public humiliation. And by the way, that's not an endorsement to make sure you buy more wine. I'm just saying, you see in the text of Scripture, you see Jesus as someone who's removing shame. You see Joseph acting righteously because he doesn't want to publicly disgrace her. He doesn't, he doesn't want the world to know everything that was going on. He wants her to be able to move forward with an, a new life. So if this is my last Christmas, and I hope this is the same with you, if this was your last Christmas, I'd hope that we would take the high road just like Joseph. It's going to look different for you than it would be look for me. But all of us will have an instant where we're going to have to take the high road. We have a choice. We're going to take the high road or the low road. Let's be like Joseph. Let's be moral and merciful. Because if we approach this Christmas like it was our last Christmas, it'll be our best Christmas. Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would give us the strength that we need to face the days that are ahead of us. I, I pray that we would, we would be both moral and merciful, that, that we would take the high road when it comes to some very difficult situations. I pray that the Holy Spirit would tame our tongue. I pray that we would be like Joseph and we would take time to consider what we're about to say or what we're about to do. And I pray that we would remember most of all how much you have loved us and how much you have forgiven us so that we can then love and forgive others just like you taught us. So Father, I pray that you would help us to follow your lead in everything. In your name we pray, amen.